my inspiration come from uh, the writings of uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote one of the books in the New Testament that's probably known as, I think is known as the gem of the New Testament, and that's from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 14, where it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Okay, 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 thank you, thank you. Uh, because that's actually praiseworthy. When you get a revelation of that, that sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. I think a lot of times we, we still believe that sin has the ability to overpower us or dictate our life. And you need to understand, and I, we all need to understand that, that this, clearly the scripture says sin shall not have dominion over you. We sang about it today, I am free. We had a, I think that uh, every song that we sang today kind of spoke along this line. You know, our forefathers here in America, they found themselves under the dominion of England. And because of that, they chose to declare their independence. And I think it's time that, uh, that some believers begin to declare their independence in, instead of being dependent upon the pastor, being dependent upon the church, being dependent upon your religious activities, such as your Bible reading or your prayer. All those things are good things, but they are not the thing that you need to be dependent upon. You need to declare your independence uh, 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 from sin and from the world and your dependence upon Christ. Can I get an amen in the house? And so our forefathers, for them to make that declaration of independence, that meant for them a bloody war. There was a serious battle. The victory did come, as we know, but it came at a great cost. And you know what? It's, it's the same for us as believers. Victory has already been secured for us. And then we kind of have this paradox, though, if victory's already been secured for us, then why are we still fighting? Right? There's the paradox that a lot of believers get stuck in the middle of that. I, okay, I know my victory's been won, but I'm still fighting. And I know that we're supposed to fight, but we've only been given the instruction to fight one thing. And that's fight the good fight of faith. And so that's very important. Number one on your paper, Jesus has set us free from the dominion of the devil. And the cost was what? The cost was the very life of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that there's an ongoing battle. The apostle Paul said that there was a war that was within himself uh, to do what was right. Did you hear? It was a war within himself. I know that a lot of times we give the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, whatever name you want to put on it, this title as the enemy of our soul. Uh, but he's an enemy that's already been defeated. All right? So I have an understanding that the true enemy of my soul is a dude named Rick Lopez. All right? Okay? Because there's, I haven't been defeated yet in, in respect to 
how the enemy is defeated. My old man can still rise up and cause things to happen in my life. The only power the enemy has over me is to plant thoughts, ideas, and suggestions in my brain. He plants thoughts up there. He, he submits a suggestion. He gives you an idea, and then it's up to Rick Lopez to choose what to do with those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. So my real battle is the battle of faith right here. Okay? When I start fighting the devil, I proclaim that he's not defeated yet. And he is defeated. This does not go against the grain of fight club because we need to know how to fight this spiritual warfare. But this spiritual warfare is within self. And it's quite frankly up here in this four inch gap between the ears. That's where it takes place. The Bible clearly states to us that we have a defeated enemy. What does defeated mean? Loser. Lost. He does not win. He doesn't have the power. The only power he gets is the power we give. When we submit to those thoughts, those ideas, and those suggestions. There is no need for me to try to defeat an already defeated foe. It's like, uh, it's like going into the boxing ring, and before you even get there, your opponent's already knocked out on the canvas. But you're still going to go in and fight. Like, raise your hand, you win. Fight's over. All right, but there's a fight within self. A constant battle in the carnal nature, the corruptible nature that fights against incorruption, the mortal nature that fights against all the other things in our, in our life. And so 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he made, Peter made a powerful statement about our enemy. And he says this, he says to us, you, you and I, to be sober, uh, to be vigilant, keep alert, stay awake, don't be drunk. That's what sober means, just so you know. All right? Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Didn't say he was a roaring lion. He just thinks he's a roaring lion. So he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Just looking for someone who will go, all right, all right, whatever you say. Okay, okay, I mean, I give up to the thought, idea, and suggestion. You win. Given victory to an already defeated enemy. What's wrong with us? <laughs> that we do that. Now, you need to know something about lions. They don't wander around roaring. They wander around in stealth. There's only a couple of reasons that lions ever roar. One is that they're looking for a mate or they're wounded. They don't, they don't walk around roaring, okay? Because then they've lost their stealth. They've lost their secrecy, and their prey runs away. So get this imagery that the Apostle Peter gives us that the enemy 
who is your adversary because he plants these thoughts, these ideas and suggestions in the brain of every Christian to get them to do something opposite of the word of God. That's what he wants. Or to just twist the word of God just enough to make you think it says something differently than it actually says. Planting thoughts, ideas, and suggestion. He just goes about, what did it say? Like a roaring lion. He appears to be so, but he is not. He is not. Uh, you know, the power of the lion is to sneak up on its prey, to lay down low in the grass to try to get close enough to finally pounce. There's no roaring going on in that scenario. Are you, are you with me? So to think about this for a minute, that the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He's already a confused cat. Okay? He's already a confused cat. If a lion is roaring, then you hear the lion, and you don't say, here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> They're not purring. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Number two, the devil is a roaring lion, and I want you to get this, because he was wounded at the cross. He had a mortal wound at the cross. So you need to understand this. This enemy that we spend all of our time trying to fight is already whipped. He's already defeated, but he's not going to go down. He wants to have the last word. How many know he's not going to have the last word? Amen? Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and even this false enemy will one day bow his knee and confess Jesus is Lord. And I wonder if we'll sit around at that moment and go, how many times did I let that false lion beat me? Just so I'm just trying to tell you, right, he didn't beat you. You beat you. You gave in to the thought, the idea, and the suggestion. And then it conceived into sin in your life. And sin, when it is fully grown, becomes death. The wages of sin is death. Are you all with me? So although Satan is still alive and trying to lead you into sin, he does not have the power to make you sin. Flip Wilson's Geraldine. Back in the day, the devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make you do anything. He simply suggests that you do. And then makes it appealing by some other idea or thought. And then you and I either stand strong in our faith, fight the good fight of faith, or we give in and follow the thought, the idea, and the suggestion, and we dwell upon that, and eventually those thoughts manifest themselves into a reality of physical action which then uh, leads to death. Not necessarily death in the grave, although it could, but it's certainly spiritual death. So number three, I already gave you the blanks for number three. Satan's only real power is to plant thoughts, ideas, and suggestions in your brain. It comes down to what you and I do with those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Thoughts and ideas like, no, 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 you're sick, you'll never get healed. 
thoughts, ideas, and suggestions like, well, every other woman in your family had that cancer, so so will you. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions like, I'll never get over that habitual sin. It's just a part of my lineage. God knows my heart. Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And so then we give in to those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, and now we're no longer a roaring lion of Judah Christian. We are now the kitty cat. So he tries to convince us this enemy that we have, and he's still certainly an enemy because he has some serious power to plant these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions and to make it entertaining and attractive enough for us to dwell on those things so that we finally give into it. And then he raises the hands like he's the winner. He's already lost the battle. So he does his best to try to make us believe that little sins are just all right. It's all right. It's all right, just a new day. You know, it's not like the old days and the old school. And, you know, it's okay to do whatever you want. And it's all right to drink whatever you want. It's all right to smoke whatever you want. It's all right to sleep with whoever you want. It's all right to come to church when you want to come to church. And it's all right to talk about the pastor or not talk about the pastor. It's all right to tithe or not to tithe. He just plants all of these suggestions in our brains that says, you decide. In other words, you declare your own independence. And then when you do that, guess who's now in charge of your providence, your provision, and your protection? It ain't God. It's you. And left to ourselves, if you're anything like me, we're our own worst enemies. We are the enemy of our soul. I'm not going to give the devil the credit of being the enemy of my soul. He only has one power. Plan a thought, plan an idea, plan a suggestion. Boom! That's it. Rest is up to me. Sit around, Rick. Think about that thought. Oh, now he plants another suggestion because he's got a little doorway. Ooh, nice suggestion. Hmm, idea. Next thing you know, action. Now in trouble. So he, he does his best to try to make us afraid of him. <laughs> oh, man, we do not need to be afraid of him. And if we do sin, here's the only other thing that he does. He then accuses us before God. He is known as the great accuser of the brethren and the sisters. So we, uh, think about this for a minute. I want you to think about this gap. I plan a thought. I plan an idea. I plan a suggestion. I'm going to do my best to hopefully Steve will think about that. And then the moment Steve starts thinking about that, then the enemy goes ahead and plants another thought, idea, and suggestion. And, and hoping that eventually Steve will maybe not read his Bible today because these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions are getting heavy on him. And then, and then, and then Steve falls to the thoughts and ideas and suggestions because he was personally weak at that moment. And you know what the enemy does right there? He ain't messing with Steve. He's going, I told you God, Steve was going to give up on you. Look what he did. And then he plants that thought in your brain. God don't love you. God's mad at you. 
God's not going to forgive you. You don't need to step up and be a Christian anyway because look what a failure you are. Failure you are. All he's doing is now planting other thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And the next thing you know, Steve's like, I don't even think I'm going to go to church anymore. I'm such a loser. You see how much power we give him that he doesn't even have? I want you to get this revelation today that because of what Christ did at the cross of Calvary, sin no longer has dominion over you. Why are we giving it dominion? Why are we giving it dominion? The power of sin over you and I has been destroyed. That was done at the cross of Calvary. Jesus said it is finished. Satan no longer had any power to cause me to sin. He has the power to make me think about it. But only I have the power to do it or not. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because no matter what, without the Holy Spirit left to himself, Rick is still his own worst enemy. I know y'all are a lot holier than that, and you got it all figured out, so you're good. Number four, you no longer, uh, you now have a new master because you're no longer a slave to sin. We sang about it. You've been bought, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased you with his very life and shed his blood so that you would no longer live in sin so that you would no longer be dictated by the power of the enemy because the sin nature has no longer has power over it's still there that's why you deal with it that's why you have thoughts ideas and suggestions because the sin nature is still beating on you but it's just in you you fight yourself i fight myself i'm not going to arm wrestle the enemy He's already got a broken arm. Why, are, why is it that you and I say, oh, I'm going to fight you, devil? What are you doing? You're just letting him get up off the canvas when he's already been knocked out, counted out, and carried out. So I want to proclaim that although it's not July 4th, today this is your Independence Day. If you've never understood this before, you don't have to fight the devil. You have to fight the good fight of faith. Faith in what? Not the enemy's power, but faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. That's your fight, the fight of faith. Because the enemy doesn't want you to put your faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross of Calvary. He would do everything he can to get you to put your faith in something else and convince you that that's good faith. But it's not winning faith. Faith in my Bible reading program will always fail me. Faith in my prayerfulness will always fail me. I didn't say prayerfulness would. I said, faith in my prayerfulness. Faith in your pastor 
will always fail you. Faith in your church will always fail you. But faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will always win for you. Always win for you. Always win for you. Watch the devil have a lot of trouble planting any thoughts, ideas, and suggestions when you bring your focus back to what Jesus accomplished at the cross of Calvary. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is there, at, you know, where it talks about Jesus at the cross, and it says this, He, knowing that all things were accomplished. <laughs> Let me help you with something. When you get to that point and the scripture says Jesus knew everything was done. Can I help you? Wasn't nothing else to be done. He, knowing all things were accomplished, he said, I'm thirsty. And I don't think Jesus said, I thirst because he needed a drink. He had been beaten. He had been ripped apart. He was dehydrated by the heat of the day and the loss of blood and body fluids and everything else. His lips were probably swollen and cracked and probably maybe even teeth knocked out. I don't know. I mean, bloody. But he said in his heart, he, knowing that all things were accomplished, said, I thirst. Why? He needed to wet his whistle because he's about to say something pretty serious. He was about to make a proclamation over all eternity. <laughs> he was about to make a proclamation over the enemy. The enemy's been doing the rope-a-dope, and Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, said, you better give me something to drink so I can say this real clear. It is finished. I wish somebody would praise the Lord in the house of God today. It's finished. But then every other day, you and I just let it all start again. What are we doing? This is your Independence Day. You no longer have to serve sin. Now, you may not have to fight the enemy, but you do have to resist the enemy. We're not encouraged to fight the enemy. We're encouraged to resist the enemy. We're, we're, we're instructed to fight the good fight of faith, and we're encouraged to resist the enemy, and we're encouraged and instructed to renew our mind, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can prove what is that perfect and excellent will of God. Because thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, all the, that's what he did, that's what Satan did with Eve. Hey, you know, you're not going to die. It's all cool. You'll be like God. It looks good, right? Eat it. Your husband ain't going to say nothing. Just do it. Ain't going to be that bad. God understands anyway. He's filled with grace. Eh, you'll be cool. Matter of fact, just live with that apple. It's got worms in it, but it's okay. They're good worms. It won't bother you. So even though we're independent of sin, we need to remain dependent upon Jesus. 
I'm going to proclaim my independence from sin today. I'm going to proclaim my independence from the, any power of the enemy over my life. And I'm going to claim and proclaim my dependence upon what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary when he said, hey, give me something to drink because I'm about to say the most powerful words in human language. And I can just tell you something right now. He did not need to proclaim to heaven that it was finished. I think the devil was already bloodied and a mess down on the canvas and Jesus, like Muhammad Ali, was standing over him going, you're finished. Everything you intended to do is done. What you did with Adam and Eve in the garden, it's over, it's finished, I bought these people back. You're done! I've heard it said that the only piece of property that the enemy should have in any of our lives is the small greasy spot on the bottom of your shoe, under your feet, under your feet. I'm a little excited this morning. So we're to believe in his victory for us, the victory that Christ has won. That's what we put our faith in, what he's done. We're to trust in him for the life that he's given us and we're to live our life through him and what he's done at the cross of Calvary. We're to rest in his finished work. I challenge you, the next time the enemy comes trying to plant thoughts, ideas, and suggest you start thinking about the cross. You start thinking about what Jesus did at Calvary and you watch. That's what licked the enemy to begin with. It'll still lick the enemy today. The object of our faith must always be the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. Now, imagine for a moment, if you will, a baby still inside of its mother. Excuse me. If, if that baby could talk, uh, he might say, I am in mom. I'm in mom. He might say, my life is in mom. Uh, you know, the baby would be, what, totally dependent upon mom. While still inside, that baby depends on mom for oxygen, for blood, for food, for life. And quite frankly, apart from mom, that baby can do nothing. Uh, newsflash. That's us. That's us. We are in Jesus and apart from him, we can do nothing. Why are we claiming our independence from Jesus? Oh, you don't like the rules? We don't even like the word rules. That's judgmental. That's us. We are in Jesus. He's our very life, we ought to start saying, I'm in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. Number five on your paper, we depend upon him for our victory, for our peace, for our joy. And you need to get a hold of this. Without him, we can do nothing, the scripture says. Nothing. Why are we trying to do so many things Without him, why are we just gritting our teeth and trying to beat the thoughts and the ideas and suggestions? 
Why are we just trying to have some human resolve? I'll just make my mind up and I'm never going to do that again. Three days later, I got my mind made up. I'm never going to do that again. Four days later, I guess I'm just going to keep doing it. Then the devil goes, it's all right. God understands. Uh, John chapter 15, we're told by Jesus, uh, verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The duty of the baby is to depend upon mama. Let me just help you. There's nothing in nature that one day the baby in gestation says, I'm through with you, mom. I'm going to do this on my own. I know a lot of you moms, when it gets down to nine months, you know, Diane once said, I don't care if that baby has come out of my nose, it's coming out. (laughs) But the baby was still completely dependent on mom, inside and out. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. The duty of the baby is to depend upon the mother. The duty of the believer is to depend upon the father. The duty of the believer is to depend upon the Savior. He told us that we can do nothing without him. And notice he did not say, without my power, you can do nothing. He did not say that. He said, no, without me, you can do nothing. Notice he didn't say, without prayer, you can do nothing. No, that's not what he said. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Notice this. He did not say, without fasting, you can do nothing. No, he said, without me, you can do nothing. He could have said a lot of things, but I'll tell you what, he didn't say a lot of things. But what he did say was, y'all, he's Southern, you know, y'all, and he want to plural it. He said, all y'all can't do nothing without me. I can just see him shaking his head back with some swag. And we're Christians going, yes, I can Jesus wants to be our very life. He was the only one who ever successfully lived a totally pleasing life to God, was without sin. And how can you and I match that? Let me just help you. We can't. We can't. Jesus must do it in us, and he must do it through us. My dominion over sin isn't based on my power to be a good, godly man. My dominion over sin is based on the only godly man, Jesus Christ, and what he accomplished at the cross of Calvary. The life of the baby is in the life of mom. The life of the branch is in the vine. The life of the Christian is in Christ. That's that's your only source of life. Why are we trying to find a source of life through other things and putting our faith in other things? So very quickly, let's return real quick to the Garden of Eden. And I want you to picture how it was meant to be, because how God had it set up and, and how now through Jesus Christ, God brings us back to the Garden. Adam and Eve were free, totally free. There was no list of rules. There was only one thing, and that was stay away from that tree. It was the only real rule that they have. There was just God, and there was just them, and they were walking together every evening in the cool of the evening. 
freedom. Just absolute freedom. Like I said, yes, there was one restriction that was against them. That was don't eat of that, that one tree. That was it. And for all they, tr- for all they knew, the tree was poison. Uh, God did tell them that if you, if you eat of it, it's trouble, y'all. I'm just saying, you'll die. You'll surely die. But God intended for his two new creations to be in total fellowship with him. His intent for Adam and Eve was that they found their complete sustenance in him, their complete survival in him, all of their thriving in him. He wanted to provide for their every need. He wanted to be everything for them. God wanted them to be totally and fully dependent upon them. I'm sure that before they decided to eat of that fruit every single day, they were looking forward to their walk with God in the cool of the evening through the garden. Every day, every day. God wanted to be their very life. Yes, God gave them things to do, but God wanted them to only find their fulfillment in Him. Not in the things to do, not in the garden, but in Him. And you know the story. Excuse me, it came to an abrupt end when Adam and Eve decided to declare their independence from God. They said, we declare independence from God today. We're going to go our own way. We're going to try to make it on ourselves, by ourselves. Try to make it apart from God. And don't you know, that didn't work out good. And it hasn't worked out good since. But praise God, the story has a happy ending. Amen? That ending took place at the cross of Calvary, and now we can come back to God, he's cleared the debt against us. You don't have to be guilty of your sins. You don't have to walk around in bondage to shame and condemnation for any sin that you've ever committed, whether it was 20 minutes ago or 20 years ago. I've said this many times. There's way too many Christians sitting in this room right now who are still in guilt and shame for something they did a quarter of a century ago. That's the enemy. Thoughts, ideas. Suggest, remember when you did that? Remember how you never fixed that? Remember how bad you were? Thoughts, ideas, are you getting this? Will you get this this morning? We can walk with him now, we can talk with him, we can sit at his feet, we can learn from him, and we just need to get to know him and trust him with every need. He can, once again, be our very life if we'll quit giving the enemy back his power. Just quit giving him back. If you've taken Jesus as your Savior and given your life to him, then you need to know he is inside of you. Number six, last point. Jesus is not inside of you just to sit around and watch what you do. (laughs) That would be kind of boring. He's in there to live through you. He's there to be your life, to meet all your needs, to be all that he can be in and through you. If you can believe this this morning and if you can receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God today? Amen. He's already a defeated enemy. Sin no longer has dominion over you. I pray that you walk out of here today knowing that you no longer have to serve that sin. 
And I say it like that because most of us have a kryptonite. That one thing that weakens us, takes away the supernatural empowerment that we have because of the Holy Spirit in here, takes it away. Gives power to the enemy in here. Still doesn't really have it. You just think he does. And so you choose to say, I'm never going to overcome that. I'm so glad of God's grace and his mercy. And that all I got to do is just say I'm sorry every morning. I'm just never going to get over that. It's not true. Our men here are wearing these bracelets right now as a sign to them to remind us that there's a kryptonite in our lives that will, that will uh, take our power away and cause us to be weak. And so it's a reminder. It's not something to go, oop, I got a sin that's never going to get away. No, it's just a reminder. Watch out. The enemy will come back and say, hey, remember doing that? How great that was? That was pretty cool, right? You had a good time. Remember that? It's all right. God understands. You've been reading your Bible a lot, and you've been praying a lot, and you've been in church every Sunday. Pastor loves you. It's all going to be good. You've been tithing. It's all good. It's all right. Just live with it. Go ahead and harbor that iniquity in your heart. Now, I just used Bible words. Harbor that iniquity in your heart. And, and clearly, the Bible says that God won't even hear those who harbor iniquity in your heart. See how the enemy is doing everything he can to get you away from our only source. Our only source. The finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. The object of my faith. Right there. 